That's wonderful. Thank you, Carolyn, and thank you, John, for that. That's definitely one that uh, I want a copy of for the for the Beatitudes catalog, uh, and so I, I appreciate that. It's a great way to lead us through this time. <clears throat> I'd like to read a poem to start the sermon today by Gerard Manley Hopkins. So this poem is called God's Grandeur. It's one of my favorite poems. It was written in Wales about five years before Sweetwater was settled. So, 1877. Um, so keep in mind, Industrial Revolution, uh, the cities in England and well, I mean, it's just, they're dark places, tough places to be. So this is written from Wales and at a retreat in the countryside. Uh, Hopkins was a, was a priest. He writes, the world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. It gathers to a greatness like the ooze of oil, crushed. Why do men then not wreck his rod? Generations have trod, have trod, have trod, and all is smeared with trade, bleared, smeared with toil, and wears man's smudge and shares man's smell. The soil is bare now, nor can foot feel being shod. And for all this, nature is never spent. There lives the dearest freshness deep down things. And though the last lights off the black west went, O oh morning, at the brown brink eastward springs, because the Holy Ghost over the bent world broods, with warm breast and with ah, bright wings. You can hear in Hopkins the wrestling with the pain of just a dim, dark world, with the things that we've torn up and smeared and made a mess of. And he says, and yet, with all of that, the Spirit of God is hovering over creation, just like in the very beginning. And the good news is that God is still creating. He's still bringing life. He's still bringing the deep down fresh things and waking us up, giving us beauty. Just this morning, when I was getting out of the pickup and walking in, I just looked up and th this morning was a perfect morning to see the stars. You could just see everything vividly from the parking lot with street lights and everything around. You could see all the navigational stars. It was beautiful, gorgeous. You just get those moments, the glimmer. And we realize that God's beauty is always around us, but it takes eyes to see. Beauty is everywhere, but it takes eyes to see. I'm a very, 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 can't emphasize very enough, novice art student, okay? I, I, I had the typical understanding of art. I mean, it's sort of, you look at a piece of art, I remember being in college, I had a good friend who was an artist, and he would show me something, and I'd say, what's that? Tell me about that. Explain it to me. He's like, no, you don't explain it. You have to look at it. You have to see it. You have to look and let the artist, you know, show you what he's trying to show you or what she is trying to show you. So I actually have a, uh, a copy. This is, um, this is on our mantle at the house at the parsonage. And this was given to me by that, that artist friend of mine. And he painted it for us. And it didn't have a title. It didn't have a story. He just gave it to us in a time when we were newly married. And 
I look at it all the time. And I still can't tell you exactly what it is or what he was thinking, but I know when I look at it, it reminds me that there's beauty in the world, even when you can kind of see the image of someone putting their forehead in their arm like they're mourning, there's grief and sadness, and sort of like the message that's being given to that person in grief is this red flower. And it's just a beautiful reminder of the things that words even can't say. So we need the poets and the artists and the songwriters to remind us of these things when we sometimes don't have eyes to see. We need to be reawakened to the beauty uh, that's in the world. Not too long ago, there was an art show over here at the Henderson Art Gallery of a young man that actually grew up in this church, uh, Andrew Boatwright. And if, if you missed that art show, you really missed out. It was just a series of beautiful rendering some of the countryside around here and things that he's observed over the years. I mean, you could have spent all day just looking at the brush strokes and the things that he's brought to life through a canvas. I'll blush a little bit here and Amber's not here, but I was thinking as you, you know, you think of the things that your mind learns to see, uh, that your eyes are healed to see in this life. And I can, I can see clearly. I close my eyes. I can see Amberly, when I first met her, I can see the smile on her face and I can see her hair and I can see, you know, what attracted me to her originally. And it's just a beautiful image that I still see in her, though her face changes over time and her hair changes over time. There's something that we know this when we look at things that draw us, the beauty that draws us, that our eyes learn to see. The last three Beatitudes that we share today are, among other things, an invitation to engage the world through contemplation. So last week we talked about the ways that we engage the world through action, through virtue. Today we're going to talk about the way we engage the world through contemplation. What is contemplation? Contemplation is just seeing God. It's learning to see God. Uh, a friend of mine said that, that contemplation is loving attention to God. Loving attention to God, learning to look upon God with affection and attention that resides inside of us, that's contemplation. And so contemplation and action, always working together, learning to see God, learning to hear God, meditating upon God, and that provides the energy, it provides the life with which we engage the world through action. So contemplation and action, always working together. Contemplation without action just kind of turns into navel-gazing, where action without contemplation leads quickly to burnout, where we're just doing, doing, doing all the time, and we're not pausing to see, to be filled with the light and the life that God is bringing around us. So Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, they will see God. Pure in heart or purity can have a kind of a negative connotation in our world today. We can think of it as just like those people that never mess up or uh, we associate it with sexuality a lot of times and we just sort of make it this category for, oh, those pure, unstained people that never get their hands dirty in the world. You know, it's exactly the opposite. This is this is the kind of purity that God gives us to engage a world that, yes, we would all affirm is full of impurities. But we are filled, we are made new, our hearts are made pure 
so that we can engage the world, so that we can go out into the world that is so in so many ways that we lament, unpure, impure, and we bring light. We shed light into those places. That's part of our vocation as Christians. So we contemplate on God. We see God. Our hearts are transformed, and we become the pure in heart. I think of the Ezekiel passage in chapter 36. I will sprinkle water upon you, right? And you shall be made clean. I will, I will give you a heart of flesh, removing your heart of stone. I'll transform you. This is the work that God does within us, purifying us. The promise, the hope, the blessedness of seeing God really is heaven's prize. That's the ultimate goal of our lives is to see God. We will see God for eternity. We will contemplate upon God. We will see God in an unfiltered way, right? The veil is completely removed, and we will look upon God in a way that we've never seen him before when we are with Christ for eternity in heaven. But that heaven begins now. It begins now as we learn to see God with the eyes of our heart. And in order to see heaven's prize, in order to see God, we recognize very quickly that our hearts, that the eyes of our hearts specifically, need healing. This is one of the ways to read the miracles when Jesus would heal people of blindness. Uh, the early church fathers would write how he was also healing the hearts of the eyes of people's hearts so they could see God in a new way. And you think of Paul's prayer in chapter 1 of Ephesians where he prays that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we could see that we could see God, that we could see the hope to which we are called. Christ always healing the eyes. Part of the good news that we share in this beatitude, being able to see God and the confident hope that we have as children of God. The second beatitude today, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Uh, it's kind of a tough word to translate. Some translations will say, blessed are the peaceful. Some will say, blessed are the peacemakers. I really like the Jerusalem Bible translates, blessed are the artisans of peace. Isn't that great? Those who create and shape and bring peace into the world in which they live. Artisans of peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. <clears throat> Again, sometimes we think of peaceful as a passive, in the passive sense, like the Peaceful are those who just sort of, you know, sit in the quiet corner and they're ignorant of all the things that are going on in the world and they're just kind of in this tranquil, peaceful, you know, you got the little meditative stance. They're just like doing eternal yoga. They're just peaceful like that. Um, and that's not the image of peacemakers, right? These are people that are in the mix. You know, they're in the war-torn areas. They're in the areas of conflict with where families are torn apart by all sorts of things. And these are people that go in and bring peace to those situations they 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 see you know when we are peacemakers there's a quality within us in our hearts that sees way beneath the surface chaos we see down to the bedrock you know if you could dig down to where you can't dig anymore that's the place where peacemakers draw their strength there's a deep bedrock level of vision that brings quality that brings this quality that peaceful quality into the storms of life. You think about Jesus doing that, right? He's, that's one of the beautiful things that he does in the Gospels is, is he calms the storm. And people are going, who in the world is this? That he commands even the waves 
even the waves, even the craziness of our lives obeys him. He can say, peace, be still, and everything calms down. And we know people like this who can come into a situation and say, peace, be still, and the waves just kind of hush for a little bit. Uh, I have a friend who is a veterinarian in, in New Mexico in Fort Sumner, and uh, we got to know each other. Uh, we were processing some cattle together. Uh, one time we had we had cattle close to him, and so we brought him in to uh, to do some AI work and pregnancy testing and that kind of stuff. And I got to talking to him, and he was a younger guy, and he was telling me a little of his story. And I knew he went to vet school at Oklahoma State, and we were just kind of talking about all that. And and then he and he made a reference to being in the military. And I was like, Oh, you're you were in the military? And he's like, Yeah. I said, well, what'd you do in the military? He's like, well, I was a vet. <clears throat> okay, well, that makes sense. You know, after vet school, I did a tour. And I said, well, what did you do? I mean, what kind of need is there for a vet in the military? We don't ride horses into battle anymore. And he said, um, well, actually, we would jump out of airplanes. <laughs> so they would go in. He said, you know, like in Iraq where we'd been and, and we'd bombed an area or there'd been firefights and things like that where we had had to go in and get the bad guys whatever he said they would drop us in we would parachute behind all of that chaos and farms would be torn up and animals would be injured and some had been killed and we would go in and kind of make peace you know we would bring back we would we would assess the animals that were harmed and we would make sure that there were amends that were made and we would kind of get to know the people in the community and i'm like you're the coolest vet I've ever seen in my life. You would parachute, you would parachute in and you would do all this stuff. And that's a version of peacemaking. You know, that's a peacemaker. That's someone who's able to literally drop in to a chaotic environment and bring peace around them. Think of school teachers. Like these are the greatest peacemakers in the world. Mothers, uh, fathers who are able to bring the kind of tranquility uh, into chaotic situations. <clears throat> and the promise here is strange at first. Blessed are the peacemakers. You would expect it to say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be shown peace. But instead, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And this is one of those situations where I think it's good to retain. Most of the time, we like to translate this, you know, it's meaning mankind, you know, the children of God. Uh, but I think here, the word son is intentional. And I think it's something like when Luther would say, we are all little Christs. He'd say, all of you are, all the church is filled with little Christs. We're all... Little Jesus is in the world. You know, we're just living out in the image of Christ. You'd say we're all little Christs. And I think that's what this means. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be sons of God. They will be little Christs in the world. They will be bringing the quality of peace into the world. Think about the peace that we exchange. You know, when we, in the midst of the communion or when we start our service, sometimes we'll, we'll stand up and, and we'll turn to our neighbor and we'll say, the peace of Christ be with you. Well, Pass the peace. We're exchange the peace. The peace of Christ be with you. And when we do that, we're affirming the quality that Christ gives, right? We're affirming the peace that comes through Christ that we have been then called to share with others. It's one of the most dignifying greetings that you can get. When you look someone in the eye and say, the peace of Christ be with you, it's, that's like, that's better than happy birthday. You know, it's affirming the person and it's affirming what God wants to bring in the life of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we exchange the peace, we're also affirming the source of peace because none of us have the quality of peace that we would want to share, this powerful kind of peace. This has to come from God. And so think of when Paul said that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That he was bringing peace uh, into all the chaos. 
And while God is doing that work through Christ, he's doing it in our lives. He's bringing that level of peace within us so that we can not just hold on to it and experience a state of peace, but so that we can bring peace to the chaotic environments around us. And then finally, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. <clears throat> this is the last kind of formal beatitude where blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, happy are, happy are, fortunate are, however we want to translate it, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And remember how this whole thing started? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then at the very end, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you English teachers out there will identify this as inclusion. That's the part of speech, that inclusion, right? It's a bookend and a bookend, and it's a, a literary device that says this is pertinent to everything in between the beginning and the end. That means inheriting the kingdom of heaven. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. is a quality that permeates the whole list of Beatitudes. It's the start and it's the end and it brings, it just filters all the way down. So it's, it's one of the major goals of the Beatitudes to say those who live this life, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Stories of people who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We'll say those who are persecuted, uh, those who are martyred, those who are killed for their faith. You know, we don't see this as much in our culture today, but we see it around the world. Right? We see the reports of the Coptic Christians in Egypt who are killed at will for being Christians. Their churches are continually bombed, and they're continually murdered for just for being Christians. And so um, we, we see that out there. But we do see persecution. We experience persecution. And so these are stories that we may need later. You know, maybe you and I hear and tell these stories of persecution for something that will be demanded of us later. But it's important that those stories shape us now because we don't ever know when those things are coming. And we want to be full of courage when those opportunities come, when we are persecuted, when we are uh, tried for our faith. <clears throat> we want to be in a position to live these stories like the heroes of the faith have done. And again, this is engaging the world through contemplation. Seeing God, learning to live for God, right? having our hearts transformed in the image of God will result in persecution. So blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. We will become whatever we fix upon, fix our eyes upon. So whatever the eyes of our heart see, that's, that's what we will ultimately become. So if we fix the eyes of our heart upon God, we will be transformed in the image of God. If I fix the eyes of my heart on other things, I'll be transformed into their image. And so that's why what we're seeing is so critical, what we focus on. You know, the church was born in the midst of persecution, and we could probably more accurately say it was born out, you know, out of persecution, but Christ is killed. And on the third day rises a story of persecution and martyrdom that leads to resurrection. And many of the early uh, church of apostles are martyred in the same way. Uh, the church leaders are martyred. So the church really grew in strength, uh, not unlike what we see today in China, where Christianity is illegal, but it just continues to grow leaps and bounds because you can't snuff it out. It's powerful and it grows 
behind the scenes. And even that wasn't new. You know, think of our ancestors in the Old Testament. Think of uh, those when we when we were all those years in slavery in Egypt. Think about Joseph, who's thrown in a hole by his brothers, and then later he's in prison. Think about Jeremiah, who's constantly persecuted, who no one ever listens to him. He preaches his whole prophetic life and pours his heart out, and the guy just keeps getting run out of town and thrown in holes and all the crazy stuff. Persecution wasn't new. And then we have stories since the death of Jesus in the early church, like Perpetua, who around the year 200, you know, she's nursing a child. She's a first-generation Christian. She's imprisoned for her faith. Her father's pleading with her, who's a pagan. He's saying, please, renounce Christ. Right? Don't go to the gallows here. Save your son. Save me. Uh, you know, just renounce this whole Jesus thing and just do what the empire is telling you to do. And Perpetua refused to do that. And so she was martyred. One of those stories that we want our children to know. What courage looks like. The martyrs tell us of the great joy of seeing God. Remember in Acts 7 when Stephen is martyred and he has this vision of God that he relays to us and, he's, and what he says for everybody to hear. And people are so moved. They're like, gosh, he just he articulated this clear vision of the glory of God. And that's what motivated him to continue and to be faithful to the end. Because the Spirit of martyrdom, of being persecuted faithfully, is really just living out what Jesus told us this would be all along. Anyone who wishes to save their life will lose their life. For anyone who loses their life for my sake and for the gospel will find it. Think about Paul in Philippians chapter 3. Right? He's, he's telling the church, he's like, you guys watch out. Watch out for the, he calls them evil dogs. You know, those false prophets out there, they're going to tell you that Christianity is just a walk in the park. And they're going to tell you if you believe in Christ, you know, your life's just going to be easy and everything's going to go perfect and everything will be better. And he said, they're all bragging that they have this pedigree of, of being Jews and they're, you know, they're good to go. And he's like, if anybody has a right to brag, it's me. Okay? I'm a Jew of Jew. I've, I've been there from the beginning. I was trained in that. I grew up in that. I have a better pedigree than any of that one that wants to talk trash about pedigree. So that's that's. let's just put that to rest now. But Paul says, but whatever I, whatever gain that I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gains in life that I had, all the degrees and pedigrees that I had, I considered it loss. For the sake of Christ, and indeed, he said, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. I've counted everything loss. For the sake of Christ. That's the spirit of the martyrs. That's the spirit of those who are persecuted. And I think we're tempted to think, this is the hardest one to wrestle with this week for me. Uh, and it's, it's that, that beatitude that you sit there and it reminds me, you know, through this whole deal with the beatitudes, I realize that we always talk about how we want the best for our kids, right? We want, we want only the best for our kids. We'll do anything for our kids. 
and, and those that we love and our nieces and nephews and all that stuff. And I realized this week that there are beatitudes I do not wish for my kids. That's the perfect, honest truth. I do not want my kids nor your kids to be persecuted for righteousness sake. I do not want them to be poor in spirit. I do not want some of these things. But somehow, in the mystery of the gospel, Jesus says, no, you really do. You really do because this is the way to real life. And we're tempted to think that this kind of deal and persecution, that that's just for those super Christians, that's just for those people that live in a different part of the world, not in our time. But the reality is, if we live the Beatitudes, if we live the Beatitudes, which are given to us and commanded to us, we're invited to live and to share in, if we live the Beatitudes, I think we can affirm that we will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Amen? If we live these things, we will be persecuted in one way or another. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Like If we live these things, we can expect persecution. And even that is somehow very good news because of what we gain even after whatever may be required of us to give what we might lose. So just kind of in summary conclusion here, I want to invite us, you know, kind of on that last beatitude, those that are persecuted, I want to go ahead and, and, and invite us all together. Let's do pray for the persecuted church. Let's, let's do keep in mind those who are out there today being persecuted because they're gathered on a Sunday somewhere and their, their lives are in danger because they've gathered in the name of Jesus. They are our brothers and our sisters. And I think every time we read about and we see these calls about persecution, we should remember them. We should be mindful of them. But let's also remember that the call to live the Beatitudes is our call. It's a call to live today, to build the church today, here and now, to stake our most foundational hope on nothing less than the kingdom of heaven. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.